Uh, tough topics. That's what we're up to, aren't we? We're up to uh, the tough topics. Uh, we've got all those ones that we've mentioned through before. And today our tough topic that we're going to be looking at is marriage. Uh, and in today's uh, current climate, it's a hot topic, isn't it? Uh, it's happening all around us, to plebiscite or not to plebiscite. Uh, all the things that are happening about whether we should or shouldn't be having same-sex marriage, thinking about how all that works together. We're having people who are not only uh, thinking about there, but we're having this, aren't we? We're having people in the streets holding banners, holding placards. There's lots of stuff going on. People are getting uh, frustrated and angry and there's not only stuff going on the net, there's stuff going on Facebook. People are going at each other in all sorts of directions on this whole issue of marriage and then same-sex marriage. How does that all fit together? And then within that we have things like the Safe Schools program that's out there. Then not only do we have that, is the whole gender fluidity issue. It all sort of wraps up and runs out of all this, doesn't it? And sometimes I think probably maybe we feel like doing this. <laughs> Just stick our heads in the sand and block it all out and say, ah, this is too much for me. Well, how do we think about it? How do we, as people who follow Jesus, think about marriage? What are the, some of the things that we need to hold on to dearly? What are some of the things that we need to think through? And how do we respond in the world that's around us and what they're saying? Well... This verse comes from Psalm 103. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. I think this is a great verse for us to remember in every tough topic that we look at. And I'm going to bring it back to it continually. Our Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in love. So how do we, as followers of Jesus, who want to be like God in that sense and see the world as he sees it, but yet respond in a compassionate, gracious, loving way? Well, that's what we're going to be thinking about. We're going to think about how do we do that. And the first thing that we need to realise about that when we do that is that we're living in a world that does not follow God. We're living in a country that does not follow God. We are not in a Christian country, ladies and gentlemen. I'm sorry to say that. We would possibly love that to be the case, but it's not. And as we heard two weeks ago when Les explained to us what a worldview is, as followers of God and of Jesus, we have a particular worldview that the rest of the world does not hold. We looked at that, didn't we, a couple of weeks ago. We looked at the fact that as believers, from Genesis 1 to 3, we were able to see that we have a particular worldview. Everyone has their own worldview, by the way. And everyone has a worldview on these four topics. But we have a particular worldview that is governed by what God says, that is. Our origin. We believe that God created us. That God made us. That we are all important to him and there is no one higher and better than anyone we are equal in God's sight male and female God created us all and we have purpose we have meaning don't we we are actually on this earth not for our own pleasure not for our own enjoyment but for God's glory to shout how great he is 
and to be in relationship with him now and for eternity. That's how God set it up from the beginning, didn't he? That's what he wanted from the beginning. That's why we're here. And our morality, how we understand the world, comes from him and what he says. Not from what some psychologist tells us or some university lecturer tells us, but by what God says. And we know our destiny, don't we? We're not floating through this world thinking what's going to happen. We know our destiny. Our destiny is with to be back in that perfect, living, loving relationship with God forever. And we know from the Bible that Jesus is the answer to all that. He makes sense of all that. He is the key to that. Both our origin, our purpose, our morality and our destiny. It's Jesus that holds that all together. Now unless you're a follower of God, you will not understand that. You might have glimpses of it, you might have thoughts about it, but unless you're a follower of God, you don't have that worldview. So when we speak into a world that has a completely different worldview from us, we need to remember that. So we don't need to get angry. We don't need to get virulent. We don't need to be abusive. We need to be loving, gracious, compassionate as we speak into their world for them to hopefully see our worldview, God's worldview. But also within that we know that within the Bible there is a whole story, isn't there? God's story that helps us understand the whole story. We know that the story that we're in, this story, this world that we're in, has a story to it of which God is the author of it and God's bringing it. God created it perfect in the beginning, right back at creation. It was good, God said. But then sin entered and it fell, didn't it? And this world is broken. It's not the way it should be and we don't, can't expect it to be the way that it should be. doesn't mean we can't help but in that sense. But we've got to remember it's not heaven and it won't be. But God is on a story, isn't he? He's on a story. He's on a progress. He's actually working towards restoration. He's got a, pic, he's got a story. He's moving it towards the place when he's going to restore all and it'll be fulfilment. It'll be renewal. It will be the perfect place it's supposed to be, but it won't be until that happens. And again, Jesus is the key to all of it, isn't he? He's the answer to all of it. So when we come to these tough topics, when we come to these issues that are hot, burning topics in our society around us, we've got to remember the worldview that we're in and the story that we're in. Understanding God's worldview and his story. And as we understand those two, it helps us relate and speak into the hot topics that we've got around us. This is a great quote because I think we always also need to remember, and particularly on just about all these topics that we're looking into, it's first and foremost pastoral issues, not political. It's first and foremost about people and not political systems. Because we need to remember who Jesus is and what God sent into the world to restore and change the world. This is a great quote by Don Carson. If God had perceived that our greatest need was economic, he would have sent an economist. If he had perceived that our greatest need was entertainment, he would have sent us a comedian or an artist. If God had perceived that our greatest need was political stability, he would have sent us a politician. If he perceived that our greatest need was health, he would have sent a doctor. But he perceived that our greatest need involved our sin, our alienation from him, our profound rebellion and our death 
and he sent us a saviour. It's a great quote, isn't it? Pin it on your wall. Remember that. Because that helps us interact and speak into a world that is broken and needs a saviour, first and foremost. Now, I want to set that clear because that's going to set the agenda, in a sense, for where we go because I think it's the agenda that Jesus sets. The other thing I want to encourage you with, this isn't a quote from me, this is a quote from another person by a guy uh, called, I remember what his name was, uh, Sam Alberry. And you'll see that in some of the stuff I'll show you later, uh, he's on one of those websites. Sam Alberry is a same-sex attracted minister of the gospel. And, uh, and he speaks into this area, I think, in very profound ways and from a position that I could never speak into. And he speaks into it amazingly. Uh, but this is what he says. He says, we need to always remember, and this, not only do we need to remember the big picture, not only do we remember God's story, uh, worldviews, God's story, that what Jesus was sent, but we also need to remember these truths. God's word is always a good word for people. Not everyone's going to like it, but it is always a good word for people. But God's word is often a hard word for people. Keep that in mind. God's word is always a good word. And God's word is often a hard word for people. So as we lovingly, graciously, compassionately speak into this, always remember that. God's word is a good word for people, no matter how hard it seems for them at the time. And he speaks from his own perspective on that, and I'll show you a bit more about that later. So, let's have a look at the Bible, hey? Let's have a look at what Jesus has to say about this area, because some people say, Jesus never spoke about same-sex change. Jesus never spoke about homosexuality. Jesus didn't speak into this topic at all. That's actually a whole lot of people who are in the Christian world are saying that and coming up with a very different understanding of what it is and how God understands this and are actually pushing that as an agenda within the Christian church. Uh, and people who are outside the church are saying this, that God, Jesus never spoke into this issue. Well, I think they're wrong. So let's have a look at what Matthew chapter 19 says. And it was funny, uh, uh, Anne-Marie's going to come and read to you. And you'll see that actually the title at the top is called Divorce. Well, I think that's misleading. Can I encourage you? Don't take headings in the Bible as truth. They weren't Jesus' words, by the way. Okay? The Bible was never written with headings in it. That's God's, that's man's who's decided to stick in little things there to try and help us with it. They can be helpful, but they're not exactly always what it's on about. Jesus in this passage is speaking to a whole lot bigger issue than just divorce. He's speaking to a whole much bigger gamut than that. So let's have a listen to it. It's Matthew chapter 19, verses 1 to 12. And then we're going to work through that together. Uh, and I'm going to give you a couple of chances right at the end to ask some questions. I may not be able to answer them for you, uh, but I will give you a chance to ask questions as well. Thanks, Anne-Marie. Matthew 19, verses 1 to 12. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went into the region of Judea to the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. 
Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them, male and female, and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has drawn together, let man not separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard, but it was not the way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness, and marries another woman, commits adultery. The disciples said to him, If this is the situation between a husband and wife, is it better not to marry? Jesus replied, Not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. For some are eunuchs because they were born that way, others were made that way by men, and others have renounced marriage because of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. tough topic I'm going to pray Heavenly Father we uh, come to you now Lord and as we think this through uh, as we think uh, through what Jesus has just said as we think how it relates uh, to the topic of marriage and particularly in our climate same sex marriage Lord we pray uh, that you'll open our hearts and our minds to you and to your word help us be gracious and compassionate and loving. Help us to seek you within this. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So what I want to say to you, first of all, out of this passage, I said that I think it's got a bigger topic than just divorce. So that is the specific issue that uh, Jesus is talking about. And I'm not going to go into that at all, actually, Dave, because I think it talks on a broader spectrum for us. And I'm going to take it into where I think it's speaking into the particular issue that we're looking at, which is marriage and particularly same-sex marriage for us. And I think the first thing that we notice when we look at this passage is that Jesus actually uh, affirms marriage. And in one sense, he actually has a little bit of a go at the guys. Now imagine Jesus here, he's speaking to the Pharisees, all right? And the Pharisees come to him with a little, little bit of a, I think he's a tough question for you, I'm going to throw this at you. And what does Jesus' first words to him? He says, okay, boys, uh, have you read lately the first couple of chapters of your Bible? That's a bit of a tough, that's a little bit of a dig, isn't it, to him, really? You know, uh, come on, boys, you think you know about this, but haven't you just read the first couple of chapters of the Bible? That will give you the answer. And so he takes them back to the first couple of chapters of the Bible and the first thing he does to them is he affirms to them the created order. What Jesus does is he comes back and he takes us back to Genesis 1, 2 and 3 and he affirms the created order. Now this is a really important thing for us to be and particularly if you're in discussions with people who are particularly Christian who are trying to move a little bit around on what they understand same-sex marriage and homosexuality uh, because they don't go to the creative water with their arguments. They go into the New Testament and then try and confuse you. But where does Jesus go? Jesus goes straight back to the created order, Genesis 1 and 2, and he affirms, doesn't he, that God created them, male and female, 
and they were to leave their family and become one. So what does he affirm in that? Well, he affirms a number of things. First thing he affirms is that they are complementary, that they are male and female and they come together. That right back in the beginning, uh, it wasn't that uh, Adam was a lesser person or Eve was a lesser person. They were both whole people. They were both created and they were created complementary for one another. That doesn't mean that they walked around and told each other how nice they were and how good they are, you know. Nice thing to be doing, wouldn't it, if you're a husband and wife? Feel free to compliment your, your uh, husband and wife at times. When was the last time you complimented your wife? Oh, no one's sticking their hand up, are they? They're too scared because the wife will nudge them and say, Never! Now, oh, what about wives? When was the last time you complimented your husband? Oh, interesting, isn't it? But that's not what the Bible's talking about. Uh, the complimentary here is the fact that they were to come together and to work together in God's garden and they'll be in relationship with each other and relationship with God, each other, together. They were complimentary. Secondly, that they were committed. They were actually to leave their families and come together, aren't they? That this is a commitment that they make. This isn't so much that I've decided that I love you so much that I'm going to come and be with you. No, no, they actually leave. It's a commitment. It's a decision. It's a committed thing that they're going to be with one another and it's exclusive. Uh, God says it's one, one man and one wife and it's exclusive. It's to be just them and no one else in the marriage. Uh, I don't know whether you are watching yesterday, just happened to flip onto the ABC and they had a documentary about uh, Princess Diana and uh, the royals and they had that interview where Diana says, there are three people in our marriage. Do you remember that quote? Those of you who are old enough to do that. Well, there's never supposed to be three people in your marriage here on earth. Uh, it's only supposed to be one. It's exclusive. It's just to be male and female, exclusive. No third person. That's why God says it should be. The other one is it's supposed to be a mutual love. Uh, that is not so much that it's a feeling aspect. God doesn't speak about feelings in Genesis 1 to 3 particularly. We'll get to that in just a moment. But by the word I have SS there is that it's self-sacrificing love. That's what it's to be. A mutual love is a self-sacrificing where they're looking out for one another and what's best for one another. And then finally, it's a sexual relationship. They become one. It's a unifying. When, they, when the Bible talks about sex specifically, it's about a unifying of two people together in an exclusive, committed, long-term relationship. And that's only to be in marriage. The Bible, when it talks about sex, it talks about sex in a great way. Read the Song of Solomon's. It's supposed to be enjoyed and beautiful and it's an important part. It's a unifying, it's a gelling, it's a gluing, it's a bringing together of that marriage relationship. It's supposed to be a good thing. It is a good thing. It's not always good, but it's supposed to be a good thing. And it's supposed to be enjoyed and it's an important part of a marriage relationship. Sometimes I think that uh, people think Christians are against sex in some way, shape or form. But God was the one who made it in the first place, guys. He knows how good it is and what it's about. He knows in the right place, at the right time, with the right person, it can be good. You see, at the end of Genesis chapter 2, it's all good, isn't it? All of that's good. Yeah, it's all good. Genesis 3... It goes downhill, doesn't it? 
But also within that we see, and it's interesting, you know, because Jesus doesn't mention this, and it's not mentioned in Genesis chapter 2, but it's also for the aspect of raising children, isn't it? If you go back to Genesis 1, God says that he created a male and female, and he tells them to go to procreate and fill the earth, and so it's for bearing of children, if and when possible. But when you get to the Genesis 2 account and you get to the Jesus account, he doesn't actually mention children. I don't think he's doing that specifically to put us off kids, but what I think he's saying is that that sexual relationship, that aspect of joining together, isn't only just for kids to have, have children. Children will be part of that and can be part of that, but it's not the only thing. The more important thing is this, in a sense, is a representation of what it's going to be like for us in relationship with God forever. It's a picture of that, isn't it? When you get to Ephesians 5, that's what they say to us, saying that it's like God, Christ is like the husband to the church. It's a picture of what it's like to be in relationship with God. But there is part of it, isn't it? That part of this marriage that we have together is that it's a part of an opportunity for... Way jump back one. Can you jump me back one, please? Thanks. It is a place for children, if God so allows that to be. And it's a place and a safe place for children to be raised. It's a safe, loving place for children to be. And the Bible does say that's the best place for them to be, is with a loving, committed, exclusive, mutual loving sexual relationship of a husband and wife and the kids can be uh, part of that and they grow up in that and that's the best place for them to grow up because it's all good still, isn't it, in chapter 2. So let me encourage you with that. When you get to the end of that first, in that very first part of what Jesus does, he takes us back to Genesis 1 and 2. He sets us for what it is, for how God sees what marriage is. In God's worldview, in God's understanding of marriage, that's what it is, isn't it? It's man and woman in a complementary, committed, exclusive, mutual love, sexual relationship which provides the base and a safe place for children to grow up in. That's what Jesus is affirming here. He affirms that in chapter 19. But Jesus also affirms another thing, doesn't he, in chapter 19? He affirms the fact that we live in a broken world. You see, he takes us back to Genesis 2, but he knows that Genesis 3 came not long after, doesn't he? You know, in Genesis 3 what happened, things went skewy, didn't they? Because Satan came in and tempted the man and woman to not trust God, to not think that it's good, and to think that actually, no, you can get here rather than give. Do you notice what happens after Genesis 3? Suddenly love isn't about what I can give in a relationship, it's what I can get in a relationship. And if you look at our world, the way love is portrayed is what you get out of it. Satisfaction. Second half. Sexual fulfilment. All those things is what you get. And that's a corruption, isn't it? That is a corruption of what God set it up to be in the beginning. And we are broken. And Jesus speaks into that, doesn't he? Because that's where divorce comes in. It's a broken relationship because we're in a broken world. And what does Jesus say that the critical point of all this is? 
Look down there in verse 8. Jesus said, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. Because of sin. It was never meant to be that way. But because of our sin, because of our hard hearts, then it doesn't work that way, does it? It's not perfect. This world doesn't work the way. We do get into fights. We do get into divorce. We do get into all sorts of things. Lots of stuff hits us, doesn't it, because of that brokenness, because of we're broken, because of our hard hearts, because we've been deceived into thinking it's about what I can get out of it, not what I can give. So we're broken vessels, aren't we? We're cracked pots, and that impacts our relationships. That impacts every relationship. It impacts our desires. It impacts our needs. It impacts our sexuality. It impacts how we understand sex. And we're all broken, guys. And we need to remember that. Most, I don't know how to say this, but in this climate and in this world that we live in, We've got to be very careful when we throw stones. Because we're all sexually perverted, guys. All of us. All of us at some point in time have wanted to have sex outside of what God has said. Be that heterosexual or be that homosexual. Jesus doesn't just nail it down to one, does he? He says, you've got hard hearts. We've got hard hearts. We are in no position to stand on the high ground and throw stones at people just because they may not be living out their sexuality the way that we think God lives it out because we're not either. We need to come before God in repentance and forgiveness and ask him to change us, doesn't he? And as if we come to that and if we're humble, then we can speak into other people's lives who are broken because we're broken too. We can speak into the people's lives who maybe aren't living the way that we'd like God to have lived their lives sexually and we can speak into it because we, we may not have done it exactly the way they've done it, but we've done it otherwise. We are on no moral high ground personally because we're broken vessels. But the great news is that we don't stay that way, do we? We don't stay that way. We're not broken forever because Jesus transforms us, doesn't he? Jesus steps in and he restores. And that's the good news that we have as Christians, isn't it? As we sit and listen and we can feel with people's brokenness, we can also say, but yes, someone feels that and restores that and will make your broken pot complete on the day when we enter into eternity with him. And he's going to mend you and mould you now. He's going to bring you together. Jesus is going to come into your life and help you with that because he helps me and he helps you. He helps me when I want, my mind wants to race off and think, well, I would like to have sex with someone else other than my wife. I want to click onto that website and I want to look at that and seek that out. Because he restores us, doesn't he? He transforms us. And that's a wonderful message in the world that we live in, isn't it? And the climate that we live in. So he affirms, doesn't he? The created order. 
He affirms the brokenness of this world that we live in, the brokenness that we are within that, but he affirms the fact that he restores that. Because he has a greater thing, doesn't he? He affirms the fact that he's on about the kingdom of heaven. Look at what he says. For there are eunuchs who were born that way and others eunuchs have been made eunuchs by others and there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. This is really big news for the people who are listening. I don't know where you gather it, but what Jesus is saying here is not only marriage a gift, but celibate singleness is a gift. That's a big thing for us to hear in this world, isn't it? Because it's all about having a partner. It's all about having sexual fulfilment. It's all about having someone else who satisfies you. It's all about... But what Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. Celibate singleness is as much a gift as marriage. And that's okay. You know, I think we've idolised it, haven't we? We have idolised marriage. We have made it into that this is the perfect way to live in this world and if you're not married, then you're somehow diminished. God doesn't say that. Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus actually affirms that it's good to be single. Wow. Who was the most amazing single person that you've ever known in history? Well, go bigger. It's Jesus, isn't it? We miss that, don't we? We go to all these other people, we think, but Jesus was single. He was a single, celibate guy who knew what life was about, who wasn't diminished, who wasn't left out, who didn't feel unsatisfied, because he was on about what? He was on about the kingdom of heaven. You see, the kingdom of heaven trumps marriage. The kingdom of heaven trumps wealth. The kingdom of heaven trumps everything. Because we tend to have idols, don't we? We can make good things into idols. Marriage is a good thing, don't get me wrong. But we can make it into an idol. We think that's where it's all going to be. Marriage, family, that's where I'm going to find fulfilment. That's where it's all going to happen. Any of you have been married? I'm afraid it's not true, is it? It can be great. But I tell you what, there are some really frustrating periods of time in that, aren't there? It is not perfect. Sorry to tell you, I'm not perfect. You ask Karina, she'll tell you. It's tough. Be married to me. Man, 20, I can't even many, many years. See, that's how bad I am. 27 years he's had to put up with me and vice versa. We have, haven't we? Don't idolise it, guys. It is not the be-all and end-all. The kingdom of heaven is. Living for him is. And marriage and singleness are both gifts from God. That's a great thing to hear, isn't it? And we who are married need to remember that and don't put it on a pedestal and don't use language that somehow says it's better than the other. You know that old saying, oh, and here's my better half? Garbage? They're not half. They're a full person. That's diminishing on them, isn't it? It's diminishing on you too. God didn't say, I'm going to create man, he's only partly human, and woman, and she's only partly woman, uh, human. And if I join them together, we've got true humanity. happens here when we join together. He doesn't say that, does he? So I'm going to create man, and I'm going to create woman in my image. They are both completely human. 
And Jesus affirms that celibate singleness is good and a gift. That's what a eunuch is, someone who does not or cannot have sex with anyone else, be it born that way, being made that way or being choosing that way. And that's a word for all of us, isn't it? If we're not in that relationship that God has said as being the place for sex, then we need to be eunuchs. Celibate. Because it's good for us. Don't get phased by what the world says. It's good. Who remembers this line? Uh, it's Tom Cruise, Renee Selweger. Uh, it's in the movie called The What? I can't remember now. Jerry Maguire. And after they've had this tumultuous relationship, he eventually works out that it's not about the money, it's not about the baseball, but it's about having a, a relationship with Renee. And she comes up to her and he says, I love you and you complete me. And she says, you had me at hello. Oh, it's romantic, isn't it? Oh, you just melt and you think, that is such a lovely thing to say. You think, oh, wow, if I'd have thought up that line, man, how good that would have been. No! It's garbage. It's not true. It's absolutely false. They're not together anymore. Well, in the movie anyway. But they're not together anymore, are they? They didn't complete them. They were complete people on their own. God brings us together to set us on a journey together to be able to see how good great and great God is and to bring about the kingdom. That's how good it is. Let me keep going. You see, they're both God gifts. Marriage and singleness are gifts of God. This is this quote by a guy called Augustine. He says, you've made it made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. There is only one satisfaction that does complete us, and that's Jesus. And that's it. Nothing else. No one else can do it, guys. You will seek it, and you'll search for it, but nothing does, because we were made to be resting in relationship with God. Jesus. So marriage. We could go into a whole lot more things, couldn't we? There's a whole lot more stuff that you could think about and talk about and you can get involved in, but when we look at what Jesus says today, we need to have that affirmed in us, don't we? That marriage is, as God said, a gift from him and so is singleness. But if we're going to be married in God's order, in God's story, it's to be complementary, it's committed exclusive, mutual loving, sexual relationship and the best place for kids to grow up in that's what he says that is what is good and good for our world so what do we do in response to the world that we're in how do we respond to it, what do we do how do we now interact into that world well, I'm not going to give you a whole lot to say because you're going to have to work it out yourself a bit because that's the freedom we have, isn't it? We have the freedom to work out how do we relate to that, how do we interact in that. But we've got to keep in mind those first couple of things that the world does not have our worldview. The world does not understand God's story. 
God wants us to be loving, gracious and compassionate as we interact into that world. And as we speak into that world, then we have freedom on how we can do that. So maybe we do decide that we're going to have a political aspect to that. Maybe we do decide that we write to our politicians and we do that. Maybe we do decide that we do it on Facebook. But be ready to be criticised and yelled at and pulled down. And if you get caught in yelling at and pulling down, then don't do it. It will not be helpful. Placard holding, shouting across barriers will not change anyone's mind. If you're going to be political in it, then you need to be loving, gracious and compassionate in how you do that. And do not hold the moral high ground. As soon as anyone smells that you're holding the moral high ground because you think you're better than them, you have lost any credibility in speaking into their relationship or into their life. Because it's about people first and foremost and it's pastoral first and foremost and it's a hard issue at its core, isn't it? That's what Jesus says. It's a hard issue at the core. So think carefully before you do that. I'm not going to stop you from doing that. It's not my role to do that. But think carefully before you do do that. But as you do speak and as you're in relationship with people and as you are speaking with people around you, well, think about Have that undergirding. Know your worldview. Know what Jesus says about that. And remember that that is a good word for the world. Don't shy away from it. We don't have to compromise it. We don't even have to apologise for it. Because that's God's word to the world. And even though the world might think it's a bad word and a harsh word, it's his good word to the world. And in the long run, it'll be helpful for them. So as we speak lovingly and compassionately into that, we can think through how do we do that? How do we introduce them to God's understanding of the world, to God's story? And how God, who reaches out to all of us who are broken and perverted in so many different ways, but speaks into that and brings that healing that Jesus brings and transforms their life from the inside out. That's Sam Albury. Uh, if you go on and listen to one of his talks, I found really, really helpful. He said that the most powerful witness to this world about God's design for marriage is loving compassionate churches and church families that demonstrate it, that live it, that have open arms that are welcoming and bringing in to say this Jesus can change and transform you. That the love that we show together and the way that we show that love, because that's what Jesus says, doesn't it? The world will know that you're my disciples by the way you love one another. He said that is the most powerful witness to the world around us. So that's a challenge to us, isn't it? Rather than us pointing a finger out there and going, you're the problem, we look at ourselves and we say, how can we be people that are so loving of one another that it shouts how great God is and people want to say, well, I want to know that love, I see it. Because remember, God's word is a good word. It's a hard word, but it's a good word. And it's a powerful word, both in when it's spoken and when it's lived.
And let me encourage you with this. This is one of Sam's quotes as well. I'm quoting him a little bit because he's really helpful. He says, People are never better off without God's word and people are never worse off with God's word. It's another way of restating what he said at the beginning, isn't it? You see, sometimes we think if we bring God's word to people, it's going to be bad for them. It's going to hurt them. But they'll never be worse off, you know. You see, we are never, ever shortchanged by God. Never, ever shortchanged by God. When we hear, don't we, Jesus says to us in Mark chapter 9, I think, is he says, when uh, Jesus says, if you leave everything for me, you will be blessed beyond measure. Family, members, brothers, sisters, attorney, you'll be persecuted, it's going to be tough, but you're going to get far more than you can possibly imagine and heaven's going to blow your minds, guys. You're never shortchanged by God. So be encouraged with that. As we bring God's word, as we live God's word into the world that God has placed us, this broken world around us. I'm going to pray and then if you want to ask me some questions, you're welcome to. Heavenly Father, we uh, come to you this morning, Lord, and it is a tough topic and it's a big topic and uh, to try and cover everything is just impossible at this time, Lord. But we thank you for the time we've had. Uh, We thank you for the words of Jesus. We thank you for your created order from the very beginning. And we thank you, Lord, that that is good. And it is good for our world to be living that way. Help us to bring that transforming message. Help us to bring the transforming of love of Jesus into this world, Lord, that so desperately needs you, Lord. And help us, Lord, to do that in a loving, gracious, compassionate, humble, winsome way, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's pretty hard to narrow this down to a short period of time, isn't it? Uh, In your service sheet, you've got uh, little uh, resources. Um, Have a look in there. A lot of the stuff that you want to think from here, do I go to a gay marriage when someone invites me? How do I speak into that? How do I encourage someone who's a Christian who has same-sex, mar- uh, same-sex attraction? Uh, there's a whole lot of issues that can be uh, raised through this. Those, I've only given you a couple, there are multitudes of uh, resources out there, but these are the ones I think if you want to look at something and get a really good perspective without trying to search everything, these things are really helpful. I've only just come across that website called Living Out, that is probably one of the best websites I've seen because it's written by Christians who are same-sex attracted. And they tell their stories, you'll see videos, you'll see stories about how they understand it from God's perspective and how they're living it out. And then you'll see a number of the resources they've got there, there's talks, there is that question. Do I go to a friend of mine who invites me to a gay marriage? And it gives poor perspective. So they're not telling you how to have to think, but they're giving you things to think through so you can make your own decision on. Uh, it's a great little website. So uh, on that, it'll also it will highlight a couple of the books that you've got down there a little bit later. Um, that Sam Albury wrote that one is God Anti-Gay. I was only just speaking to a girl that I know that's same-sex attracted, and she read that just recently, and she said it was really, really helpful for her. Really helpful for her. Uh, the other one, the plausibility factor. Uh, some people I know who are dealing on a university at the moment uh, and have got a, a number of that happening within the group that they're involved in found that book extremely helpful. I haven't read, read either.
but they've found them very helpful because they're both very new, so I haven't had a chance to, to read through them. Uh, the other books down there, there's two ethics books that if you wanted to delve into the whole ethics, Christian ethics, two great books, uh, The How and What of Love and then uh, The Joined Up Life, both from solid, reformed, evangelical, good Bible-believing guys who've put together books that will help you to think about the whole of the world from a Christian perspective and touch into issues and so forth. Um, there's a Gospel Society and Culture website, which is the Presbyterian Church of New South Wales website. It has a number of uh, articles on there that are also helpful. I don't agree with everything they say in some particular spots, but I don't agree with everyone on everything. It's, you've got your own thoughts on it, haven't you? Uh, but a really helpful website on how to look at things as well. Uh, there's lots of them out there. Must let me encourage you those ones. Are those that you need to leave, you're welcome to leave. Has anyone got any questions they want to ask before we sing our last song? Well, you're welcome to ask me afterwards as well. Certainly. Why do you do that then? Pervasive. So what we, what we do as parents is we've got to take the responsibility for teaching our kids. What I'm saying is so. be aware of what you're being exposed to. I think they're pretty aware. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not saying what you can do about it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there's lots we can do, uh, but it's got to be starting in our own homes, doesn't it? We can't expect our we can't expect our schools to be the ones that educate them in God's worldview and God's story. Unless they get that at home, then it's going to be so much easier for all these other stories to come in and try and infiltrate, isn't it? So we've got to set a great base at home where we as parents take the responsibility of sitting down with our kids and explaining that and then explaining where sex and marriage and singleness and all those things fit into it. Because you're right, they're going to get it from every other perspective. So parents, don't abdicate your education to the education department. It's probably the big call, isn't it? We need to take that for ourselves.
All right, let's sing a song to finish off with, Cornerstone, because Jesus is the cornerstone. He's the one that's that. Your gospel communities this week will be thinking and talking about all that together, so you'll be able to explore more of that in those groups.